you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, that will be the first uh, passage we'll reference in our lesson today. I'm continuing in the series uh, that I started, I don't know, probably a couple months ago now. Uh, it's been a while, but um, I'm going over what we commonly, or you may have heard commonly referred to as the five steps to salvation. Um, hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. Um, and I'm going to say at the beginning here, as I've tried to say in each of the lessons, that it's dangerous to think of salvation as a formula. Um, that would be the trap the Pharisees fell into. Uh, as long as I give this tenth and do this, these steps just right, then I have a relationship with God. That is not true. Salvation is not a formula. On the other hand, if someone asked me and I had three seconds to tell them what they needed to do to be saved, that's what I would tell them. Here, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And that's my three seconds. It's good to have that, those steps in your, in your mind, but it's, I would say, imperative that you know some scripture behind those steps because it's the Word of God that saves people. It's the relationship with God that saves people. Now, those steps are involved in obtaining, reaching, maintaining that relationship. Um, but what I've tried to do is go into Scripture with each of these things, see where they come from, why is there even a list of five things? Is it scripturally based? I believe it is. Um, and we've gone and looked at that, but the, most of the time in each of these lessons was spent on what does that mean for someone who's lost? And what does that mean for someone who's a Christian? You know, do we, do we just dismiss those things from our lives, like hearing, or believing, or confessing. Well, I, in those first three lessons that I've presented, I think it's clear that we don't. Uh, they become part of our life. How we hear is important. That's what we looked at. Um, what we believe and how we believe grows as, a, as we're Christians, as we grow, right? Um, we come to new understandings in, in the Word of God. And then our confession, hopefully, I think we saw in the Scripture, should mean more and more to us as we grow as Christians. What that confession means, that Jesus is the Lord and everything that's behind that confession. So today we're going to be talking about repentance, uh, the fourth of the five steps. And we'll follow the same kind of pattern. Where Why is this in the list? Why is this listed as something that people say is necessary for salvation. But then beyond that, really, what is it, and what does that mean for someone who's lost, and what does it mean for someone who's saved? So, first, again, very quickly, why is it in the list? You know, why, why, why would I say repent is necessary for salvation? Well, look in Acts chapter 2. We'll just read verses 37 and 38, but, you know, again, this is a very familiar story. Um... This is the, the first gospel sermon, I guess you could say, if, if you exclude Jesus' entire life before his death. Um, you would say this is the good news preached after he was raised. Um, and Peter and the other apostles are all preaching what we have recorded as Peter's sermon. And he tells the Jews who Jesus is, and that this is fulfilling Scripture, and that he fulfilled Scripture, and that he's risen. And that they, not just that he's risen, but that they killed him. And this is in Jerusalem, so it's a slightly different gospel sermon than you would preach today. I might not go accuse people individually of killing Jesus. 
But they hear this, right? And verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says to them is repent. So we know that repentance is necessary before salvation is accessible. There has to be some repentance. And I'll just read another verse in Acts chapter 17 if you want to turn over there. Um, three verses actually, and then we'll talk more about what repentance is. Acts chapter 17 is a sermon to a completely different group of people. These are not Jews. In fact, these are not just your run-of-the-mill Greeks. These are Athenians. These are people who pride themselves in telling something new and hearing something new, right? And that's what they're gathered to hear. So Paul has preached this lesson to them, not from the perspective of fulfilled prophecy and everything, because there's no reason to quote Jewish prophecy to Athenians. But he's preached the same message. If you go back and look, he's told them the same things about God and about Jesus. And as he's wrapping it up in verse 29, Acts 17, verse 29, he says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So here in this message what we see, Paul saying, is that repentance is necessary because what's coming is judgment. So again, he's implying without repentance, you face the judgment. But with repentance, you can escape that judgment. Right? And he doesn't, we don't have the details buried here of exactly how that happens. But he's saying, I'm telling you the truth, and the evidence for that truth is the resurrection. And if you've read Acts 17 enough times, you know that that's kind of what created a tizzy right, when he mentioned the resurrection of the dead. So I think based on these two scriptures, and more, I mean, there, there's, there's plenty more you can read on repentance. But I, th- I think it's safe to say it is necessary for salvation, and, and then it should be included in any kind of list you hit, keep in your head that you want to study with someone about the steps necessary for salvation, but don't boil it down to just a formula. Well, you need to repent and then you know walk away. And these would be passages you could take someone to. Say, here's why I'm saying this. It's not my church doctrine. It's not our creed. It's God's Word that's saying this. It's, right? That, that's what we need to do is point people to that. Now, again, before we get too far into this, um, I want to say that this lesson is primarily for self-diagnosis. I can't look over here at Chuck and say, yeah, Chuck's repented today. I can't do it. I mean, it's just not something that's visible, right? And I can't look at Josh and give him approval and say, good job, Josh, you repented. Your repentance, in fact, is acceptable. I, I can't do that. Now, we're tempted to do that a lot of times. Um, but I want you to, at least it's, it's hard for me, so I'm projecting myself onto you. 
saying it's hard for you. It may not be hard for you. It's hard for me to take this and say, okay, I'm going to look in the mirror with this lesson, and I'm going to think about my repentance and my attitude toward my sins. Um, so I wanted to lay that out there at, at the very beginning. The other thing I do want to say is that in the passage that Robin read for us, we can see that there are fruits in keeping with repentance. So I don't want to give anyone the idea that there's nothing outwardly that gets expressed in your life when you repent. So let's turn and read that again. Because there were a lot of thoughts in that passage, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. There were kind of a lot of thoughts there. And what's going on is John the Baptist is out preaching a a baptism of repentance. And people are coming to him. And they're being baptized. Which means they're repenting. Okay? But then another group of people come, and it it seems to be a little harsh with them. So we'll we'll read this again in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There is some implication that true repentance will cause a change in actions. So there are ways in which I could come before this group and say, I've been doing committing this overt open sin that people can see. Whatever it is. I mean could be something that you, you just can't hide, right? And then I come into your presence doing that very thing. Well, then you can say, okay, perhaps Richard didn't really repent, right? I mean, the works that follow repentance aren't following, right? So when I say that this, is a, this lesson is for self-diagnosis, that is my intent. But I also didn't want to give any kind of false reassurance that, oh, I can tell people I've repented and then hide my sin from them. I think we do have a responsibility to rescue our brethren, who we see are in danger. But that's for another lesson. Okay? This lesson is you looking at yourself, looking in the mirror. Okay? So what is it? You've said the word a bunch of times now, repent, 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 repentance, repentance. What is that? Uh, Well, I'm going to start by saying what it's not. It's not sorrow. Um, You know, you can feel sorry about something um, without repenting of that thing. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Let's say I told a lie about someone. Just flat out lied about them. And it got back to them. And it hurt their feelings. Well, I mean... I don't hate that person. I'm sorry that I feel sorrow that that their feelings got hurt. I didn't intend for my lie to get back to them. Well, that's not repentance, right? Repentance is saying lying is wrong, so I'm not going to lie anymore. Sorrow is, man, if I had known that would have gotten back to you, I would have said it. That's not repentance. There's no change. Your circumstances are defining your actions, right? That's not repentance. Um... 
you know, here's another one, and this, this is, again, this is really, I've never heard of this example, but it was just so obvious I couldn't help use it. So, so let's say someone gets cancer from secondhand smoke. Like I'm a smoker, and someone I'm around all the time gets cancer from secondhand smoke. Well, I'm sorry that you got cancer. I'll just go smoke outside. I won't smoke around you anymore. Or I won't smoke around other people. You see that sorrow, and that's real. I may really genuinely feel, but I don't feel that what I'm doing is wrong. I just need to change the environment because I'm sorry about what happened. Sorry about the consequences. So sorrow, feeling sorry, is not repentance. Now, they can be involved, and I think almost always. I mean, it's hard for me to think of a time where you would repent truly and not feel sorry. I think they're going to be related. They're not the same thing. And the scripture I'm going to provide... Is Second Corinthians chapter seven. In his first letter, Paul wrote to the Corinthians about a brother who's living in sin and said, You need to sort this out. And in fact, in sorting this out, you need to withdraw from this person because you've been arrogant and proud in this sin. And apparently they did that. And so in the second letter, part of what he writes to them is, Okay, this is enough. You need to welcome this person back. Um, they repented. Now, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, Paul writes, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So Paul clearly talks about these things in different... In fact, he talks about two different sorrows and then repentance. And really, godly sorrow will lead you to repentance. So I think they are involved um, with each other. They're not, they're not the same thing. And that's a trap I've fallen into in the past. I've done something and I felt really sorry about it and I thought, well, that's good enough. I mean, I really did feel sorry about it. I'm not just saying, well, I told them I'm sorry. I really felt sorry about it. But I didn't change anything. I just felt sorry. And I was satisfied with that. Well, that's not repentance. Godly sorrow would lead me to repentance. Sorrow's not enough. You know, I'll also go ahead and say that a mere change in action is not repentance. And I kind of struggle with that statement because it's... You know, this is one of those times when this is self-diagnosis here, people. You cannot look at another person's actions and determine if that person has repented. You can look at yourself. Guaranteed. You and God's Word together can diagnose whether or not you've been you've repented. So this is a self-diagnosing point right here. Mere change in action is not necessarily repentance. You know, I used to use this example, and I'll, I'll, I'll use it again here, of repentance. You know, say you're driving south on I-75. And you're going to repent. Well, it's not stopping driving. Right? What the, the metaphor I've used in the past is repentance means you're driving south on I-75 and you actually turn around and start driving north. You're actually moving in a different direction. It's that kind of change. It's not just stopping. Right? What did Paul say about the thief? Let the thief steal no longer that he may just not steal. No. 
Let him work with his hands so that he'll have something to give those who are in need. It's a, it's a change in direction, right? Um, but it's not just mere action. You know, the person driving down I-75 might hit a roadblock or something and just say, okay, well, I want to continue driving down I-75 south, but I can't, so I'll just go home. They changed their action, but there was no change of heart. Their desires were the same. Their intents were the same. They're just prevented from carrying the act out. And this is not for you to diagnose someone else, right? This is for you to diagnose you now. If you were prevented from doing something wrong, is that just why you didn't do it? Or did you have a change of heart that said, I I really, I shouldn't. You see the, the ought that's there? I ought not do this. That's different than being prevented and just changing direction. So we've talked about the two things, or two of the things that repentance is not. It's not just feeling sorry, which is an emotional thing. It's internal. And it's not merely a change of action, which is a completely external thing that other people can see. Okay? So we've we've kind of hit on what it is just by talking about these things. Repentance starts with a change in the heart. It's changing your mind about what your intent is, what's the right thing to do, and what you ought to be doing. That manifests itself in actions. Ought I to be driving south on I-75? Well, yeah. Okay, well then, there's no need for repentance. But if the ought changes... I ought not be doing this, well, then there is a need for repentance, right? Um, You know, even in the previous passage we read in Acts chapter 17, we can see um, that that repentance there is to abandon idolatry. That's what Paul's talking to them about in Athens. You know, he started that sermon by saying, "I, I perceive that you are very religious people. You've got idols everywhere. I even saw this one idol to the unknown God. I mean, you people are religious. But repentance is necessary. Because in their mind, right, in their heart, they think of God as something who can be fashioned, who can be created by man's own skill. Well, yeah, so the repentance is going to have two parts. They're going to have to change in their mind. Wow, God can't be fashioned from gold and stone. That, that repentance has to happen inside, and then the action that happens outside is they stop worshiping these things that aren't God's. Right? You know, turn, turn back to Acts again, Acts chapter 8. You know, let's look at another example of repentance being internal. <clears throat> and you know, I, I, I'll just take an aside here. One of the reasons I think it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of trying to diagnose other people is that the Holy Spirit does diagnose other people. And that's what we see recorded in books like Acts, where the Holy Spirit through Peter can look at someone and say, your heart is wrong. Well, then, you know, when we read those examples, we start thinking, well, I can do that. Well, I can't. Okay? But what we have revealed is an example for us to look at ourselves. Okay? 
So let's look in Acts chapter 8, um, in verse 20. Now Simon the sorcerer, again, this is kind of background. Simon the sorcerer had been converted. He had believed. He had been baptized. He was now a Christian. And he saw the apostles not just doing miracles, but enabling other people to do miracles by laying their hands on them. And he's a smart guy. He says, okay, that's power. Yeah, yeah, these people are running around doing miracles, but these guys are enabling people to do miracles. That's power. And it is. There's a reason they were set apart, right? He sees that, and he offers them money. It's like, I want to buy that power from you. You give me that ability. I want that. Okay? Now, in verse 20, this is Peter's response to that. Acts chapter 8, verse 20. Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Simon didn't go kill anybody. He didn't lie to anybody. Right? Everything that was wrong with him was internal. It was inside. Now, again, we can't do that with other people, but we can do that with ourselves. Peter could do that with other people. The Holy Spirit allowed that. And so look what he said. You th- the problem is you thought the gift of God could be purchased, right? It's in his mind. You have neither part nor portion because your heart isn't right. Right? Repent, therefore, of what? This wickedness. This wickedness exists and is manifesting itself in your thoughts and in your heart. So, what we have to ask ourselves about repentance for ourselves is, what is my motivation for what I'm doing? What I'm wanting? What I'm saying? Is it coming from a source that's aligned with God's Word? Right? Is, my, is my heart, when I, when I look in these, in these passages, does my heart identify with these attitudes and actions? Or do I just do the same things I see people in these passages doing because I don't want to stand out? Or because I don't want ridicule for my family? Or because... I just like going to church on Sundays and I don't want people asking questions. Nobody here or anywhere else can tell you that except you. I mean, you're the only one. Right? But that's, that's what we're called to do in, in our self-examination. Everything Peter said to Simon was your heart, your thoughts, it's inside. You've got to sort that out. And that's what we have to do. That's what repentance is about. Right? Okay. So what is repentance for the lost? Right? If, if we have this list of five things for salvation, then presumably we're preparing ourselves to have a conversation with someone who wants to be saved, right? So, you know, what change of mind is required? Well, if you think about, again, you think about your own salvation... The things you had to change in your life are going to be different than the things I had to change in my life. And the person next to you had to change something different. So the details for repentance are going to be different for each individual. 
but I'm going to suggest that there's a common denominator. If you look in Mark chapter 8, and this is something we studied just, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. I'm just going to read one verse and kind of not, not spend much time on the context. This is Jesus speaking. It says, When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the common repentance that every person who's lost is going to have to face for salvation. Denying self, taking up our cross to follow him instead. Um, you know, I, I kind of think of it this way. You know, before, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, this is going to be hard to imagine, right? But before you come to Christ, your life is, I'm hearing advice, I'm seeing examples, good and bad. I'm the filter to determine what part of those things I'm going to take into my life and make a part of my character. If I like it, and I think it's good and valuable, then I add it to my character, and if I don't, I just reject it. I'm the filter, and I'm the decision maker. When we come to Jesus, that changes over to Him, being the filter and the decision maker. Because I'm going to hear things and see examples that I'm, well, I don't want to do that, and I don't like how that sounds. But now I'm not the decision maker. I'm not the filter that filters the things out. I what we have is God's word to use, right? I still have to use my mind, my brain. You know, God's not going to come zap me and say, oh, well, I, I, somehow I magically know what to exclude from my life. You know, that's not going to happen, right? But God's word will guide you and train you for how to do that. Okay? That is the common, what I'm going to say is the common denominator of repentance. And again, that's going to manifest itself in a million different ways for a million different people. Everybody's going to struggle with different things. But when we're talking to someone and we, and we just say repent, well, my question would be, what are you talking about? Repent from what? Everything? Some things? What things? The place to start is this tension that's going to be between you and Jesus over control. That's the place to start. Who has control? That's the first place repentance has to start. I'm going to step down. Jesus is going to have control. Now you can start talking about the details. How do you repent? What do you need to repent? Is it just a one-time thing? Am I, am I going to find something later that I've got to repent of? Right? Simon did. We just read it. I mean, the Holy Spirit recorded for us that he was a believer. And yet he fell into this thing. And Peter said, your heart's not right. Okay? And what was his instruction? Repent and pray. We will have to repent. But as Christians and as those who are lost, we need to make sure that we're starting on the foundation of the repentance that says, I'm in control. We've got to repent of that first. I think that's what Jesus taught when he said that. Take up your cross and follow me. 
Um, so what about for Christians? And then the, will, the lesson will be finished. You know, as I said, this process goes on throughout our lives. Um, if we became perfectly knowledgeable and perfectly capable the moment we were baptized, right, you probably wouldn't have the majority of the New Testament. The Christians in Corinth would have been gleaming examples to all Christians. And they were a mess. I mean, they were a mess. And I'm not mincing words. The letters to the churches in, in Asia at the beginning of Revelation. If all of those people had never had to repent of anything after they were baptized, right, those, most of those letters wouldn't have been written. Or they would have been very different. They would have all been, you're doing a good job, keep it up. Right? Repentance goes on for Christians. But it doesn't get any easier. Because you always find some way that you're holding control and you're not giving it to Jesus and you have to say, alright, I'm going to let that go too. So you have to be diligent about repenting and what repentance is. And look in the mirror often. And understand that it starts with giving up your own control and giving that control over to Jesus. Um, when we find that we're not denying ourselves but we're giving in to ourselves then we need to repent and that's going to be a change in heart and it's going to be a change in actions thanks for your time and your attention I hope this was useful Um, we'll have one more lesson in this series the next time I preach it will be on baptism